0: Okay, good morning one and all. My name's Adrian, if you don't know who I am. Uh, We're going to be doing things slightly differently at this point. Normally, uh, our gathering, we'd be uh, opening uh, the Bible uh, and going through to see what it's got to teach us through a different series. We'll be starting a new series next week uh, in the book of Genesis. Uh, But today, what we do at the beginning of every year is something we call Vision Sunday. And that'll come uh, clearer of what that's all about, which isn't actually going to be a celebration of ourselves, but rather is a celebration of God's story through us, Uh, something that we want to honour God continually through. But it's not to say that we're any special than any other church. I I believe that every church should do this, because it celebrates what God's doing in and through all of us, through the world. But we are going to be zooming in, in terms of us locally here at Oasis. But I want to start by telling you a story, a story actually that continues where we've just left off, of a mountain. A mountain a story of a different sort of mountain, a mountain that is called Snowdon. Now, Mount Snowdon is the highest peak in Wales, uh, one of the top three in the UK. It may not be up to Russia's standards, but I can promise you when you walk it, it does feel painful. Um, My family and I decided last year that we were going to conquer Snowdon. We were going to claim it for the Hearst clan. And so the five of us, so that's Lucy and I and our three children and our dog, Ted along with a friend of our family, and along with another family who we're friends with, sought to go and conquer Snowdon. We decided not to go on the easy route. We also said we're not going to go by train. We were going to walk it. And so we got up nice and early, leisurely made our way there, packed provisions, and set off on our walk. By halfway there, on the route that we'd chosen, we started to meet people who... I oh, was just to say, this is a photo of Snowden. it's not just a random picture. I couldn't tell you which one is Snowden, which in a moment will explain some of the hindrances we had in our walk, um, but it is definitely there. Um, halfway up this mountain, we start to bump into people who are coming down, and as we talk to them and say, hey, why, why are you coming down? They're saying, it's just too unsafe on this route. You mustn't go any further. And we're thinking, man, we've got halfway. There's no way we're turning back. We've made a commitment. We're going to the top. And so we're saying, no, that'd be fine. Though at the back of my mind, I'm starting to think, man, have we gone on the wrong route? Man, I don't even know which mountain it is. Is the route we've chosen okay? Is this going to be safe? Are we leading people to disaster? Within it, we then get to the last third of the route. And mist comes down. So much so that you can't actually see further than 10 foot ahead. At that point, we start to get cold, a little bit hungry, and a little bit despondent. And we take it in turns, really, of giving up. And at different points, we all have different responses. For some, it becomes sarcasm. And so some within the party start saying, well, this is a really good day, isn't it? <laughs> I'm really glad we're climbing Snowden." I'm sure we'd be able to tell everyone about this. And then it got to others who just collapsed on the floor and say, I cannot go any further. This is it. That was me, yes. Um, Slightly melodramatic, that's what you find out about me. Others of us just started to get angry. That's it, kicking rocks. I don't believe there is a top to this mountain. You have lied channel it we'd say channel it you're using my anger against me <laughs> we then kind of getting there further and we get to what we believe is the top and this is marker and we see another family there celebrating jumping around saying we've made it to the top and as we casually get there another person comes and says oh no this isn't the top it's a signpost to the top, and you could see them just fall to the ground, thinking, oh no. So we continue, blinded by the mist, and eventually make it to the top. I can honestly say I've never judged so many people in all my life, because as we get to the top, I then realize that the top is near the train station. There's literally a train that you can get to the top, and I start judging everyone getting off the train, going, you can't go to the peak. You didn't walk it. You have no commitment here. Unless you're elderly, you don't get to go up there. And so we were cold damp, but we did make it to the top, and we were there. What you can see through this photo, and I, I do kind of reveal myself, is that everyone else is okay, apart from me. Where, to be honest, that's not really a smile, that's a grimace. Because I kind of got here and thought, right, we're at the top, you can see absolutely nothing, and it's cost me everything to get here. I'm a bit fed up. And then we decided to get a hot chocolate. There's even a cafe at the top. What kind of mountain is this? So we go and get a hot chocolate. As we're sat there, we suddenly realize we've got up, we've got to get back down. So then we contemplate with the other family, should we just live here? I reckon we could work in the cafe. We, We could survive. There seemed to be running water. Now it got there, but I reckon we could live there. But we decide that no, we've got to get down, and so we set off and we make it. As we get halfway down, suddenly the mist clears and you can see everything. It's breathtaking. And so I turn to everyone else and I say, "Hey, should we go back up?" And someone kicks me, and we continue down. <laughs> I can promise you, when we got to the bottom and it was dark by that point, this was the summer, so it tells you a bit about how long it took us. It. It was dark. We then found the nearest place, which in North Wales, there aren't many places open late. It's the problem of living where there's mountains, there aren't people. Uh, I prefer places where there's people and not mountains. Uh, So we found anywhere, somewhere where you could eat. I promise you, it was the best meal that you could ever eat in your life. I remember us all sat around eating and high-fiving each other in our stupor of tiredness, saying, isn't it amazing? although there was still a couple in the party who said, yes, that was really, really amazing. (laughs) See, the deal was this, that in our walk, our climb, we encountered people who just said, no, it's too much. Turn around and go back. We got to points where different ones of us became despondent and it needed all of us to get there to the top and get back down. And we all did make it, dogs included. We also got to this moment where the mist came in and you couldn't see anything. And at that point, it meant we had to just keep trusting the path that we were going on and where we were going to get to. And if you like for us as a church, today is about us remembering why we do what we do. Now maybe you're not part of Oasis, maybe you're looking in, maybe today gives you an opportunity to look in of, right, what, is, what are we about? Why do we do what we do as Oasis? Why do we exist? Maybe you're someone who's not yet a follower of Jesus and you're thinking well, I, I don't even know what this whole thing looks like. Well maybe for you today maybe that question's enough. Why do you do what you do? Because I promise you, every single one of us has an answer as to why we do what we do. And then it Whilst we live with that sense, that deep thing, motivation that says, hey, this is why I do what I do. For us in that moment in the summer, it was to get up and back down in Snowden. There are moments for us as a community, as a family, that actually in understanding why we do what we do, it's within a context where sometimes we encounter people who just say, hey, just turn around, don't don't keep doing this. It's in a context where you think, man, can I keep going? And we need one another to say, hey, we're in this together. We go together. There can be a context where it feels like the mist, the fog has come in on our life, and we can't quite see ahead, a and we just think, I can't, where are we going? And it's at these moments, it reminds us, hey, there is a bigger story that we're part of. The mist will clear, but till it does, we get to cling on with others to where we're heading. See, what we've said as a family is we've said that what we're about, why we do what we do is we believe that Jesus changes everything, full stop. There's no addition needed, that Jesus is enough, that Jesus changes everything for who we are as individuals. So what does that look like? Well, let me just tell you a few things that people shared with me over the last year, I could do it over the last 20 years, but let's just see the last year. This is the kind of thing it means personally that Jesus changes everything full stop. It means that one person says they discovered that God is their father, not their judge. That they know freedom, this is someone else, they know freedom and confidence. Another, that I now know that I can belong, and I do. Someone else, that I don't need to live in fear. Another. That what I do in my day to day existence matters. Someone else, that I am forgiven and I can finally forgive myself. And then lastly, that I can rest even though all around me it's restless. Jesus changes everything about who we are as individuals personally, but also Jesus changes everything about who we are together. And that's what we've discovered over this last year. You see, our journey as a church community has been one in 2018 that has been characterized by suffering and by death. And in that, what it's caused us to do isn't to give up, but rather is to rally together, to love and support and encourage one another, to pick one another up and say, hey, when the, f- the mist feels like it's coming in, we can make this. God is enough to bring hope where despair starts to set in. We've discovered that Jesus is enough together. But also we say that Jesus changes everything, not only personally, not only in us together, but in who we are in the world. Again, a couple of stories from this last year, I'd say one would be on a macro scale, a big scale. Uh, of Mike Blaber in terms of what he does. Mike, who is hosting today, just because it's easier to now point him out because we all saw him. Mike both is employed within who we are as a church, but also a day a week is employed within medicine. He's a uh, end-of-life care doctor. But with it, in his understanding of the health system at the moment, there was a realization that there is a big problem for young doctors. Young doctors, in terms of the pressure they're living with, And their way they cope with that. And so to help remedy that, Mike and another doctor have said, actually, let's create a culture and a course that actually says that well-being matters. And seek to take care of young doctors. And so that's been running since September. And it's gone amazingly well, so amazingly well within the Birmingham trusts. There's then a want to say, hey, how can we start to roll this out? Not only within Birmingham, but outside of Birmingham. Because we see that this is good. Why? Because Mike and his friends saw that Jesus changes everything, including healthcare. Well, what about on a more small scale? Well, let me tell you about a story of mine. Now, I live on a road called Cherrington Road. Along my road, there are a number of different houses. A number of the houses have elderly people in In December, I'm walking back to my house, having taken my dog for a walk, and I meet an elderly neighbor called Betty. Betty is in her 80s, and she's really flustered, and I said, Betty, what's wrong with you? And she says, oh, I've got to go around to Stan. Now, Stan's the guy I know, because he, again, is elderly, and I'd met him during a power cut once, and wanted to make sure he was okay. And she said, oh, I've got to go and see Stan, because Stan's fallen. I said, all right, like, what are you going to do? She said, I just need to sit with him because Stan hasn't got anyone else, and he actually can't get out of his house, and whenever he falls over, uh, uh, the emergency services are called, and we have to wait for the paramedics to come and lift him. And I'm his emergency call, and so I go and sit with him whilst he's waiting. And I think, this is crazy. I've got a lady in her mid to late 80s taking care of a man who is in his mid to late 80s. And so I say, look can I come as well? And maybe I can get another guy I know called Michael who lives opposite me, and maybe we could come, and maybe we'll be able to lift Stan if he's okay. And so we go around, and we go and get and find Stan, and Stan's just fallen in his hallway. He's gone making his way to his kitchen. He's fallen over, a plate of crumpets in his hand. And we say, Stan, are you all right? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. He's not injured himself. He just said, I've fallen, and I cannot get up. And so we say, well, could we help you? So we literally just pick him up and help him through to his lounge so he can sit uh, in his chair. As I'm there, I say, what were you about to do, Stan? He said, I'm about to toast these crumpets. So I go into his kitchen, and I realize he's got a gas cooker, and he was about to toast on his gas cooker these two crumpets. We're talking about a guy who can't really stand, who shakes way more than me, who's about to light a match to... Light his gas cooker to cook two crumpets. As I'm stood there, I'm thinking, Jesus changes everything, even when it comes to toasting and crumpets. As and so I say to Stan, this isn't safe. Can I buy you a toaster? Stan says, I-, I can't possibly ask you to do that. I haven't got any money on me. I said, Stan, I would love to buy you a toaster. Please, would you let me do you that? And he goes, OK. And so I buy Stan a toaster. Why? Because Jesus changes everything in the world. See, with this bunch of people who said, we believe that Jesus changes everything, full stop. And as we live, understanding that, it causes us to be motivated, to keep on track with how we live with that in mind. And what we say is, what we're going to give ourselves to, as we live with that in mind, is four words. That we're going to give ourselves to loving God and loving people. Why? Well, because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. Matthew 22 says this, firstly in verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That what we come to discover is that God is a God of love. Father, Son, and Spirit existed for eternity in love. Then out of that love created everything and then calls us into that love. And we're a bunch of people who've realized that God loves us. And we've centered our lives around his unconditional love towards us. And in us centering our lives on him, the whole of ourselves, our soul, our mind and our strength, it causes us not only to center on his love, but also to celebrate in his love. So then in everything we do and say and are, that we're saying actually is all about celebrating in who you are God, in the God of love. But not only do we give ourselves to loving God, we also give ourselves to loving people. Because we love what God loves, and God loves people. And so we, as Jesus continues, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, love your neighbor as yourself. Now this, you can say, all right, so my standard is myself. No, no, how you realize you love others is how you've been loved yourself. How have you been loved yourself? Well, we've come to discover we've been loved by God. A God who loves us unconditionally, a God who loves us with sacrifice, willing to give his son as we sung about in worship, and a God who loves us for our best, to give us that wholeness, that peace that Jesus gave as he was resurrected, to make sense of everything that happened, I now breathe peace on you. Why? Because that's what I've accomplished. So how do we then love? We love, as we've been loved, we love others unconditionally not whether we think they match our standards, not whether we think that they're worthy of our love. No, we love as we've been loved unconditionally, everyone and anyone. We love sacrificially so that we can hear stories like Richard and Ali saying, you know what, it feels a pull to go back, but we know it's what we've gotta do. Why? Because love costs. There's a sacrifice involved. But also, love is always for other people's best. It's always about seeking the best for the other one. Whether it's a toaster, whether it's well being, whether it's standing and listening or sitting and comforting, it's for the person's best. And as we've said, we're gonna give ourselves to loving God and loving people. We've said that along the way, we're gonna have signposts that encourage us to keep going. As a last year, we kind of gave ourselves a signpost of PACE. Saying we want to learn what it is to live as a community, as a family, with PACE. I kind of came out of this moment at the very beginning of the year. I felt God talk to me about this. And we felt God speak to us about it as a team at the end of 2017. That we were to learn what it was to live in PACE. And in January the 2nd, 2018, I find myself at my doctor's on a couch on an ECG machine had heart palpitations for over a week, realizing my body wasn't quite right. And as I'm sat there, finding out that I am okay, just needed to change the pace of what I was living with. I felt God speak to me and say, hey, I told you what this year was to be about. You are to learn this. And as a church, you are to learn this. And so we got out and we said, okay, let's give ourselves to pace. Understanding it isn't any old pace. It's the... 1 Corinthians 9.24, we want to live in a way that we run the race in order to get the prize. And what we said is then that pace was about what? It was about P, prize, which was Jesus. A, the attitude of how we run. C, connecting others into the race. And E, encouraging one another as we ran so that's what we've sought to do this last year. We've sought to say, let's look what it looks like to and live with a life of pace. Why? Because we believe Jesus changes everything. And as we believe that, we then love God and love people. And we'll live with pace of how we seek to do that. Here's some stories of what that's looked like. I asked a friend, Pip, who's no longer part of Oasis Birmingham. Uh, he and his family moved towards the end of last year to Devon. As part of them working this out, was them realising that for them to live with pace was that they needed to leave the magnificent city of Birmingham. It took me a while to realise that, and to go and live in Devon. This is what Pip says. The two years we spent at Oasis were incredibly important in our family life. The truth is we came battered and bruised from both pain and hurt from long-term Christian ministry but also very difficult family issues that were still ongoing. We felt immediately accepted and loved for who we were and had no pressure put on us to do anything but just be, which was very welcomed and needed. Oasis really was a haven, a place to learn to worship again, be open, trust, and slowly sense God's fresh calling and purpose. We were able to be real and encounter real from those around We were able to share with those whether living in great blessing and joy or deep and profound sadness and suffering. The transparency and openness and honesty of Oasis leaders and people have been and will continue to be very refreshing. Our family found acceptance and love and friendship. Ollie, one of my sons, and Callum, one of my other sons, found fresh faith which they continued to pursue. Ollie is getting baptised on Sunday, the 27th of January. I'm just going to interject in the story. I remember Ollie coming to our carol service here in 2017. Uh, We'd literally been in here two Sundays. I remember meeting him in the lobby, and he said to me, "Uh, am I really welcome here? Can someone like me come into a building like this? And I just went, yes. That's, I think, profound. A year later, the guy's getting baptized. Amazing. He continues. Josh is growing out uh, of much difficulty. Debbie and I finally feel like we're turning a corner into a new season to serve God in a fresh way. There are so many stories I could tell you, but that was the one that I wanted to share. Why? Not because they're not here anymore, but because it shows what we do together when we run together i can tell you another story about, like, someone who's actually joined us in the last year, and they've talked to me time and time again. I've just said, hey, I know what it's been to be connected, and I've been encouraged more than any other moment in my following of Jesus to pursue Jesus, and to pursue Jesus getting rid of every other distraction. And I feel like I'm not doing it by myself. I'm doing it with this bunch of other people who are running fast, but at a good pace. I think that's, that's what it means. That's what it's meant for us to live with pace. It's what it meant for the Piper family to know that encouragement, actually who you are matters. Find Jesus because he runs to meet with you at the pace that you can go. I'll tell you a story about someone else. Actually, I'll tell you one other. Who, what it looked like for them in doing this is realizing that, man, I've got myself on this track of working and thinking I shouldn't be working as much as I, want, I am. I actually should be part-time, but I couldn't possibly do that what it's meant for them is that actually as they've lived like this putting Jesus first asking some questions it's then meant they've ended working part time in a way better rhythm for the whole of their life for me I think what it's looked like is this and you may have seen me push this in social media I think my kind of reflections on a year of pace would be 11 lessons firstly that Jesus is enough secondly that living with pace doesn't mean life is easier or without pain I'm just rattling through these just because of time. I I could go on for ages about this, but I actually want to go on to what we're looking at this year. Three, there's always time to pause. There really is. It does take a daily decision to live with pace. Five, it calls me to remember the biggest story I'm part of. Six, already came through worship. Admitting frailty is key. I, you, are not enough. Seven, pace of slow, small, and weak produces fruit just as the pace of fast, big, and strong. One isn't better than the other. The key is being at ease with what pace you need to live at. Eight, some things can wait. Kind of rhymes that one. Number nine, need to live in a way that allows me to have capacity to be kind to others. Ten, to not carry excess baggage. Forgiveness is key. And eleven, living with pace has to be shared with others. Man, I'd encourage you. We often say this the things that are up on the screens is in order that we can all take a photo of them, think, oh, I might learn from that and kind of shape my life. Why? Because it just does us good. Because the point of pace isn't that we say, yeah, we did a year of pace, now let's just run like maniacs. No, we continue now to say, let's allow this to be the rhythm of which we run. That we know what we're about, Jesus changes everything, therefore we love God and love people. Let's do it, though, with pace. So what about this year, then? Well, this year is all about home. Now, home will mean different things for each, one of, each and every one of us, but I believe that this year is to be a year where we're shaped by home. And I believe that because of three things. I think, firstly, it's about the fact of us understanding more and more that we are family, and I recognize that for every single one of us, family is a loaded word. For some of us, it means like the best thing we've ever heard of. For others of us, it kind of feels like the most painful thing we want nothing to do with. And yet God designed us to live in a family, his family, and to belong. And it's a family that is rich in diversity and rich in love. And I believe that part of us looking at what it means to build home together, which is what this coming year is going to be about, is to learn more and more that we are a family and what our family's like. I think secondly, it's about the fact that we have a building. See, every family in the end lives somewhere. We found ourselves dwelling in this place. We're scattered in lots of other places as well, but we gather to this place. And this place isn't a building. We're to see it as a home. And then finally, we need to understand that home is about purpose. See, we can suddenly think, oh, yeah, I'm setting up home, therefore I'm settling. The glory days of Oasis have been, now we just get the fire on and toast our socks. (laughs) That's not what it's about. Like, what we're going to discover is home is deep and rich with purpose. Why do I say that? Well, let's look at a bit of the Bible, which I think encourages us in terms of how we're to build home this coming year. Jeremiah 29, verses four four to seven, and where God speaks to the people in exile And says this This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled in Babylon from Jerusalem Build homes and plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. God's instruction to these people who've been taken in exile, got a people of God been taken into a home, the promised land, and then find themselves taken out of it because of the fact they didn't quite live as God wanted them to. And then God says, actually, in this other land, it isn't you to keep pining from what was, no, you're to build home there. And he says, this is what it's going to look like to do that. But for us, we're going to say, well, what about us? Well, it's the encouragement because we're in the bigger story of exile, everything we looked at at the start of our Daniel series. That we see at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis that God creates everything as a home for humanity, a home that reveals his goodness and his love, and then humanity break it. Say, actually maybe we don't need you, God. Maybe we can make sense of this ourselves. And if you like, it's then God's restoration plan of saying, no, no, I want to restore the home that was broken but it takes God himself coming as his son Jesus to live and die and rise again, to then offer home to everyone who will receive it. In order that we could know we're being brought home by Jesus to get us to the very end of the Bible, revelation, where we discover that God's plan isn't finished with this planet. The one day he's gonna restore everything in order that this planet will be the true home it was gonna be where he himself dwells and fills it with his goodness and love. And what we're called to do is like these guys, isn't it? We're then to think, all right, Jesus, you're taking me home. Let's wait at Departure Lounge for the flight of Jesus to the restored home. No, we're to live building an outpost of the home that is to come now. So what does that home look like? Well, the home that we're to build together is that. It's about building. Not just literally bricks and mortar, It's about what we do in this gathering point here, but also what we do everywhere else we're placed, in our small groups, in our workplaces, recovery, the parents on the school playground, our homes, everything is an outpost of this home. This home is about building, it's about building a foundation, a foundation that is love. We love God and we love people. That is the only foundation to build from. Just before Christmas, I had the honor of welcoming Lucy's wider family to a celebration meal for Lucy's dad, who died in December, uh, to this building. Uh, Many of them don't go to church normally uh, and won't be part of the church community. One of Lucy's relatives, her uncle, uh, looked around the building, and he came to me at the end, and he said, Adrian, I don't very often go into church buildings, Uh, and generally I find them cold and unwelcoming. He said, this is going to sound weird, but he said, having been in this building, you can tell when a building's been loved. He said, this building's been loved, and it speaks more about a home than anything else. I think you're creating a home here. And as he said that, I thought, he's got it. He's got what this is about. It isn't about stained glass windows or kind of balconies or organs. No, it's about a home, a home that's founded on love, that anyone and everyone who comes in comes to experience that love, even though it might be just in saying. It just feels like something's been loved here. Why? Oh, because of this God who loves you. So the foundation is love, but also it's weird to build with a culture. What is that culture? I say this culture is this. It's about welcoming where all are welcome as Jesus welcomes all. It's about authenticity, where we seek to know and be known without masks of pretense. Understanding mess is okay as we're not building a museum. Man, if you've come today thinking, man, if you really knew my life, you think, man, run away. No, you're so welcome. You belong. We like mess. Honouring, where we seek to build up, not tear down, bringing dignity rather than shame. Faith, where we know our trust is in our loving Father, not ourselves. A Father who has made himself known through his Son as the Spirit brings Scripture alive to us. It's a culture of justice and mercy where we seek to meet the needs of those we come into contact with. To communicate love practically, which happens, yes, on an individual scale, but it also happens in this building. I love the fact that people in need come here. We have regular people now who know we're here and know we show mercy, and so they feel very able to come and say, I need mercy. And we love them. I love the fact that the very centerpiece of this building is a stained glass window revealing mercy of when I was hungry, thirsty, naked, and sick, you came and ministered to me because our culture we build is one of justice and mercy. It's one of creativity, please hear this, where risk-taking is encouraged. Success is not necessary, and failing is not met with criticism. Man, I'd far prefer that we're a family who have a culture where we try stuff and potentially fail than never try anything. We're not into perfectionism. We're creating a culture of joy where within our circumstances we find joy in Jesus, in being together, in our diversity and our giving. And then finally, in a culture of rest, where rest is the basis we live from, not the destination we're aiming to reach. I don't know what kind of home you want to build but I want to build a home with a culture like this, of welcoming authenticity, honoring faith, justice and mercy, mercy, creativity, joy, and rest. And that's the kind of culture I could give my life to. That's the kind of culture I want to call us to give our lives to. So let's not sell for anything but this. Let's build this into us as individuals, as a family, that everyone who comes and plays a part here, gets to know this. But it isn't just about building, it's also about growing. We want to, this coming year, grow in our relationship with God. We want to grow in our relationship with each other. Can I encourage you, if like me, you're not in a small group, I'm not in a small group at the moment, massive confession, let's get in one this year. For more years in Oasis' life than less, I've always been in a small group. I find small group one of the most life-giving places for me, to be known and to know others. Can I encourage us to grow by being in relationship with one another? Let's get in small groups. What does that just mean? You're all going to keep me accountable this year, aren't you? You're going to come and say, are you in a small group yet? I'm going to get that every Sunday from now on, and I will get in one. But also, it's about growing and connecting others in and sending others out. See the danger in growing. We see that in the people of God, they, what they're told like multiply. Is that we can then think, oh yeah, what we need to do is make sure the home gets bigger and bigger and bigger, more and more people. That could be it. But growing isn't just building people in. As we see with Rich Nally, it's about sending people out. We are a family that loves sending people. Love sending people around this nation. There are so many people. I often talk about this. My social media feed is full of people who called this home who are now building homes somewhere else and make a profound difference wherever they've gone. We want to send people out to this nation and the nations. And for some of us here, part of us growing this coming year is we're going to be sent. For some of us here, part of us growing this year is we're going to be built in. So building, growing, and then well-being. Here's the deal. This building we've been entrusted is for a purpose. From the very start of when we moved in, we felt God speak to us about two things. One is that this was the place to be still and know that he's God, he's in control, and he can bring stillness, and a place of justice and mercy. A part of that is that we believe that we're to use what's been given to us to do others good, Therefore, we want both this local community of Harbourn, but the city, to benefit from us having this building. For us to do things that do people good, that are causing people to be well. Therefore, we've already got things going on in this place, not run by people in Oasis. We've got fitness classes, we've got uh, teaching classes, tutoring classes for kids. And what we've said to those who are running it who are not part of WACES is, hey, you can do this, but what you've got to understand is that we're doing this to benefit others. So you, can you make sure when you're doing this that you do it with our kind of values? Can you make sure everyone's welcome? Can you make sure that if people can't afford it, they can get in? We've got, with the tutoring classes we've, we're, that someone's running, they're now giving us, as a church, three places for us to give to people who cannot afford tutoring for their children. Why? Because they're catching hold of what does it mean to live with well-being. But I don't want to just do it by saying, hey, out there, do you want to come in? I also want to say, what about in here? What do we want to do out? My question for you to be thinking about over the coming months is this: what could you do in this space? Not what could I? I don't want loads of people, I can think of loads of things. So please don't keep coming to me saying, Adrian, I think you should do this. Because there's a limit to what I can do. What could you do in this space? And imagine that, some space that you don't have to pay for, that you could do good for others in. I ask you, contemplate, pray about it, connect with others. I know a couple of people who are going to be starting a mother and toddlers group this coming year. As they sort of say, hey, what, we, what could we do? We could do this. What could you do? And then lastly, home is about prayer. The very end of that call to the people in exile is give yourselves to pray. And it's interesting, it isn't pray for yourselves, pray for the location you're in. We are to give ourselves to prayer. God kept highlighting this last year. I want to keep highlighting this year. Prayer isn't an added bonus, prayer is the language of rest. It's the language of rest that says this isn't down to me, God we need you. And I say, this coming year, let's give ourselves to praying. Why? We are living in a unique moment as a nation. And we need to step in the gap and say, God, would you come and have mercy? Would you cause us to reveal your kingdom, not ours? We need to give ourselves this coming Wednesday evening to pray. Not some added bonus, not the kind of, kind of barometer of how passionate am I. No, no. We just come and we gather because we realize, man, without you, God, we can't. So we come and pray the following week when we give ourselves to praying with the other churches in Harbour, and We do it, why? Because we see the value of prayer stepping in the gap. Yeah, sacrifice sacrifices there. Later this year, we've been giving ourselves to a week of prayer, not to impress anyone else, but rather to say, hey, we take this seriously. So this coming year, let's give ourselves to home, to building, to growing, to well-being, and to praying. And the invitation, then, is every single one of us. Do you want to come and give yourselves to this? Maybe for some, the invitation is maybe you want to explore what being part of this home would look like, and you are so welcome. But for many of us, this moment is a moment that within maybe the mist and fog that's around us, within the moments where we've heard others who said, I'm not going any further, maybe it's in the moment of just saying, hey, can I keep going? Maybe it's just that things are going well, and you just think, man, again, I say, God, I'm up for this. The invitation is will you join once again today and say, Yes, I'm going to give myself, knowing Jesus changes everything, I love God and love people, to making and creating a home? Should we stand? Just where you're at, just close your eyes. It's far easier to do it this way around. Standing and then closing your eyes rather than closing your eyes and standing is always easier. But in terms of, we close our eyes, not some mystical moment, but just a way of not getting distracted by anything or anyone else. And with our eyes closed, I just want to, in a moment I'm going to pray for us. But before we do that, I just recognize that for many of us here, this is a place that we've, and a family that we say we belong to. And today becomes a marker of just saying, hey, again, I'm in. And I think it's really good to do that. It isn't some personal kind of affirmation. It isn't in these moments I kind of go away thinking, hooray, this many people said they're in. You know, so I think it's just personal of saying, you know, individually I say, together I'm with us. And just where we're at, I want to give us a moment. I'm going to count to three. And in that three, I want to invite just to put our hands up of saying, yeah, God. I'm in, I'm joining in again this year. And maybe I'm joining in for the first time and say, I'm gonna give myself to making home this coming year. One, two, three. We put our hands up. God, I thank you that you know where every single one of us is at. I thank you for those of us who just know that's it, we're in. This is where we build. This is where we're shaping. This is where we're making and giving ourselves to And I pray, God, would you go with us as we seek to make home together. I pray, God, also for those who say, no, this isn't somewhere I'm making home. I pray, God, would you help them wherever they are. I pray for those that are in a journey of exploring. I pray if this is a place where they could call home, I pray, cause them to know they're so loved and accepted. But God, more than that, we just say that today is about celebrating in who you are, God. And we recognize once again that you are so faithful and that, God, you have given us such a great purpose to live with, a purpose that you, Jesus, have revealed. And we give ourselves once again saying we want to cause you to be known in and through our lives in this city, this nation, and the nations. Amen.